guys. Good morning. Uh, once again, welcome to Rocky River Church. If uh, you're a first-time guest or we just haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. And uh, at Rocky River, we love newcomers. They're important to us, but so are old-timers. Can I get an amen from the old-timers? I'll let you guys figure that out. Um, Randy Wadford. Randy and Pam, it's good to see you guys this morning. I know we don't normally call people out, but I'm calling you out. It's really good to see you today. Glad that you guys are here. But yeah, we love um, newcomers, old timers, and the truth is whether you're a first-time guest, a long-time member, just somewhere in between, we're glad that you're here and, uh, and welcome. If you haven't already, find the bulletin that you should have received when you came in this morning. Inside of that, there's some message notes. Take those out. Take out your connection card and also your offering envelope. We're going to use all of those in today's message. I've uh, I recently read a story. I, I love U.S. history and um, well, I love history. Period. But I read a story about a a nuclear submarine captain and this crew. They were doing some exercises out in the Mediterranean Sea. And it just so happened that while they were doing these maneuvers, that there was just a lot of ship traffic above them. Not only above them, but even some traffic around them. And it made things a little bit challenging. They had to make some pretty severe maneuvers, you know, to stay out of harm's way and sort of, uh, you know, keep some sort of disaster. And I mean, can you imagine a nuclear submarine if there's an accident with that? I mean, that is a, a disaster. And uh, the, the captain had been down in his office, so he wasn't up on the bridge. And, you know, on a submarine, the bridge is that little thing up on the t- thing. I'm sure they don't call it just a thing, but it's that thing up on top where they have the periscope. And uh, the, the captain came out of his office, went up to the bridge, and, you know, he asked the second in command, how are, how are things going? And the Second guy in charge said, hey, things, things are going fine, just a little busy. We've had to make some pretty sharp maneuvers. And the commander, the captain, he looked around a little bit and said, hey, everything is good here. And then he went back down into his office. And the reason he was able to do that is because things were just ordered the right way in the submarine. Now, on the outside of the submarine, on top of the water, and even, again, around them at different times, it's just chaos. And they are having to make some of the hard maneuvers, but it's really no big deal for them because the, the commander of this submarine had, had these guys, the, the, the crew, making these maneuvers and doing different dives and practicing different situations for months and months and months. So really, once they were dealing with the real thing, they just sort of put their training in gear, and it was, it was just no big deal, really. Everything was chaotic on the outside, but peaceful on the inside. I think that's the way it is in life for human beings at times. You know, I have a, I have a friend that wrote, uh, well, he's written several books, but one of them is Bod for God. Some of you have read that book as well. His name is Steve Reynolds. And Steve says, you know, because they call him, Saturday Night Live a few years ago did a skit about him. They call him the anti-fat pastor 
on Saturday Night Live. And, uh, but Steve, one of the things he, he says and just really sticks out of my mind these days, he said, what you eat in private, you wear in public. You know, so you eat all those Twinkies in private where nobody else can see, but eventually it's hanging out there for everybody to be able to notice. And our lives are like that, sort of like that submarine. You know, if that submarine crew hadn't have been so well-versed and so well-practiced in the maneuvers and the things they're working on, there could have been total blowout up on top, a real disaster. And a lot of us, our lives look like a disaster. We don't handle life the way that submarine crew handles it because that submarine crew, it's well-ordered on the inside, Things are organized on the inside of that submarine, but when things are not so well organized in our lives, well, it just looks like chaos. I'm convinced that the reason so many of us, and I say us, I throw myself into that pronoun. I think the reason that so many of us live lives that seem like we're falling apart or we're always in a hurry or we're always under pressure or we're always so stressed out, it's just because our inner lives are not so well-ordered. Things may seem okay on the outside, but then not really. You know, when burnout hits you, or there's some sort of blowout in your life, or there's a, a breakdown, a physical breakdown, or an emotional breakdown, that that really just represents the fact that our inner lives are not that well ordered. And so we just succumb to the pressures around us. I want us to do something about this. I want us to do better than this. I want to do better than this in my own life. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to be in a series called Vision 2020. And in this year, and by the way, welcome to the Roaring Twenties. That's exciting, isn't it? The Roaring Twenties. But this year, I want us to develop a greater, clearer vision for our lives. I, I want us to learn from the Bible, not just stuff that we make up or stuff, you know, that Tony Robbins might write in a book. No offense to Tony Robbins, but... That's certainly not the scripture. I want us to learn from the Bible about how to order our inner lives, our private lives, how to order our lives in such a, a godly way that we can handle whatever life throws at us without breaking down or melting down. Am I the only one that struggles with this? You don't have to answer out loud. You don't even have to say amen. Just smile at me. Okay. <laughs> I know who my people are. But there's another reason. I want this new decade. I'm not just thinking of this in terms of the year. I want this new decade to be the best decade of your life. And this is not just about you. I mean, can I say that? It's it's about me too. It's about me and my wife and, and my kids. It's about my family. 
I want this to be the best decade of our lives. I want this to be the best decade of Rocky River Church's life. You know, Rocky River Church just turned 20 back in October. Next October, we'll be able to buy alcohol. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm, that was just to see if you still listen. I'm, I'm just kidding. I want this to be the best decade of our church. I want us to live out our full redemptive potential. I want that for my life. I want that for your life. I found a verse just a couple of weeks ago that has um, really sort of hit home with me. It's Proverbs 27, 12. And this is going to be our memory verse for the next few weeks Here's what it says. It says, the prudent, and someone who is prudent, is someone who's thinking about or caring for the future. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. I want you to read that out loud with me. Can you do that? With lots of Rocky River Church, 9 a.m. gusto. Just let, let's read it out. Here we go. Three, two, one. The prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. And uh, I have a little prayer that goes along with this. It's really simple, and it's a prayer I'm going to pray over you right now, and it's a prayer that I'm going to pray over us every week in this series. And it just says something like this. God, help us to see danger ahead in our lives. Like, help us to have that kind of vision, that kind of sight. Just like this proverb speaks about, you know, the prudent see danger coming. You see that it's ahead. God, help us to see danger that is coming ahead of us in our lives. Give us the wisdom to know what to do about it and the courage to do it. So, Lord, give us vision. Give us sight to see the dangers that are coming toward us. Give us wisdom to know how to handle that danger, to find refuge or battle, whatever the wisdom for that situation might be, and then give us the courage to do the right thing. Amen? Well, this is going to be a seven-week series, but... For the first three weeks, today and the next two Sundays, we're going to look at one chapter in the Bible. It's Genesis 24. And this is a, a classic chapter on, on vision, on, on reaching goals, on accomplishing things, even success. I mean, success, if I've done the math right, and I, I think I have, although I'm sure that after I say this, someone will go back and check me. I, I think the word success is mentioned specifically in Genesis 24 five different times. And this is a story that happens thousands of years ago, and yet it has so much to say to people like us that live here in the 21st century. In Genesis 24, a man named Eleazar, and I'm just going to give you just a quick little snippet here, just a sentence or two about the context here, and then we're going to dive into the passage. But a man named Eleazar, who is a, a servant of Abraham, say Abraham, he is sent on a mission 
to find a wife for Abraham's son, Isaac. Now, now listen, there are some things in this passage we're not gonna be able to unpack just because we just don't have time to. And if I can, if I can just be honest with you in full disclosure, I originally wrote this to be one message, but then when I started reading back through it and going through it, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. And since you and I don't have an hour and 15 minutes today, I'm gonna break this down into three parts. But there's a lot to unpack and a lot, quite honestly, that I can't go into. Like, there's gonna be an oath that's made here in just a minute. I don't really have time to go into that oath. So you just, you'll have to go and do some study on that on your own. If you come on Wednesday nights, I'm talking just a little bit about Genesis 24, but there are gonna be some things I can't talk about. Like, like I can't get into all the specifics for why Isaac can't go and find his own wife. Isaac is kind of a weak character in the Old Testament. And there's a lots of reasons for that. But for whatever the reasons are, even though he's almost 40 years old or maybe 40, for some reason Abraham doesn't trust him to find his own wife. He's going to find a wife for him, which was usually the way things are done in that day and time anyway. So you'll just have to overlook some of those things. But this man is given the vision and mission to go and find a wife for Isaac, Abraham's son. And listen, this is important. All the way back in Genesis 17, God had made a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of a great nation. And actually, he's the father of two great nations. He's the father of the Jewish people through Isaac, and he's the father of the Arabs through Ishmael. So if you think about this for just a moment, Abraham comes from the land of Ur, which is modern-day Iraq. Iraq, Syria, Persia, Kuwait, those areas over there. And these stepbrothers, which is essentially what they are, these stepbrothers, the Arabs and the Jews just cannot get along. And so it's funny sometimes how things from the way past have a way of, you know, jumping right up into today. But this is important because Abraham's getting old. And he's thinking, okay, God made this promise to me that I'm going to have a great nation. Uh, or so many children, they become a great nation. I, I was worried that we were not going to have a son, but miraculously, we have Isaac. And now Isaac's getting older, and I'm getting real old. In fact, Abraham's about 140 in this story. And he's thinking all of this could come crashing down. So he goes into action. All right, let's pick up in Genesis 24, verse 1. Abraham was now very old, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the senior servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, so this is not just anyone, I mean, Abraham really trusts this guy. He says, put your hand under my thigh. You know where the thigh is, right? Okay. It's a little, it's certainly not 21st century Western culture. This is 
This is old school Eastern culture. And he said, I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among who I'm living, but will go to my country or where I'm from and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. See, Abraham lived in Canaan, but he's not a Canaanite. And he's what we might call a little bit more old school. And the girls in Canaan, well, not just the girls, but the people in Canaan, they're pagans. And the girls in Canaan dress differently than the girls back home where Abraham's from. These girls wear mini skirts, sleeveless shirts. They tease their hair up and wear makeup. I'm describing the 80s. That's when I was a teenager. But he says, look, don't get one of these pagan girls for my son to marry. That'll be an obstacle for him. That'll be an obstacle for our future. Go and get a girl that believes like we believe, looks like we believe. There's all sorts of things wrapped up into this. Verse five, the servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? And you know, to be honest with you, most of us in the Western world, we would say, well, yeah, if I was this girl, there's no way I'd come back with him. It didn't really work that way then. It would be odd for her to put up a fight and not return with him. But he's trying to cover all the what ifs. And then he says, or he asks, shall I then take your son back to the country that you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Why? Because the promise, the future, their vision as a people is not back home in the land of Ur. It's in Canaan. It might not look like it right now in Canaan, but that's where it's at. That's where God's promise is at. So he says, no, 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 we're not going back. We're not going backwards, and I don't want Isaac to get back there and decide he wants to stay there. He falls in love with the girl, and her family likes them, and and he stays there. The promise is not there. The promise is here. The Lord, verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son there. In other words, the Lord will have this worked out. Don't worry about how this is going to happen. Don't let the details keep you from going. You just go and the Lord will work it out. Verse 8, if the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. In this story, which is nearly 60 verses, there's probably a dozen or 15 different principles for how to set vision and accomplish vision and how to have success And over the next few weeks, I'm going to give you most of them. But today, I want to give you three or four of them. These are biblical principles that will help you to be successful in making your vision a reality. They will help you hit your life goals. 
And, and listen, just to take this off the table, I'm not a self-help sort of guy. Maybe you look at me and you see that. Yeah, Jimmy, yeah. You don't, we can tell you don't listen to Tony Robbins. Well, all kidding aside, I'm a biblicist. I believe in what the scriptures teach us. And the Lord didn't want us to be successful in the things that he puts in charge of us or in front of us to do. He wouldn't give us passages like this one in Genesis 24. I'm not trying to tell you that you can come up with just any old thing that you want to and you can pull these principles out and use them any way you want to to manipulate God to make him give you success. That's not what this is about. But this is about when God puts a vision in front of you, a vision for your life. And again, we're going to talk about what that looks like over the next few weeks. But when he gives you that, these are biblical principles to put into place to have success. And here's the first one. Be specific about your vision. Be specific about your vision. This is the what of your vision. What do you want to accomplish? What, what is broken in your life that needs to be fixed? What's broken in your community? What, what's broken in your neighborhood that needs to be fixed? What's the wrong that needs to be made right? What, what do you see that just must be changed? What keeps you up at night? What excites you so much that it causes you to lean forward in your seat when you start to think about it? When you can answer questions like that, you're starting to get at what your vision and life is. And be specific about that vision. Describe it. Don't be vague. Be specific. A vague vision will never become a reality. Nothing becomes dynamic. Nothing comes to life until it becomes specific. And your vision doesn't have to be complicated. It can be simple. There's nothing wrong with simple. In fact, simple is good. But just because something is simple doesn't mean that it's easy. Abraham painted a very clear, simple picture of what he wanted from Eleazar. I want you to go to the land that I come from and find a wife for my son Isaac. And then he describes what that woman will be like. And Eleazar knows this is not a cupcake mission. He knows this is not just going to be something easy to accomplish. That's why he has some questions about it. Well, here are the, the what ifs. It's simple, but it's not easy. What are you going to do with your life? Sounds like something we ought to ask high school kids. But I'm telling you, 50-year-olds like you and me, we still haven't answered that question either. What are you going to do with your life? Let me give you some questions to help think through this. Three questions that'll help you think through a vision and then how to make it specific. Number one, what do I want to be? Now, don't let that freak you out because over the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about what you ought to be. As a, as a, as, as a follower of Jesus, we're gonna talk about what you should be. You need to start thinking about that. 
What, what do I want to be? The second question is, what do I want to do? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to do? And the third question is, what do I want to have? And man, we're going to talk about what I want to have in all sorts of ways over the next few weeks. Because I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, man, I'd like to have a, a fiberglass Chevrolet. It's a Corvette. You know that? I had a Corvette. I've had a couple of them. You know, anybody that says that money won't buy happiness, they don't know where to shop. Because it won't buy you peace and contentment, I'll tell you that. But I've had money. I've been without money. It was more fun to have some money. But this is not just a materially what you want to have. And you may think it's only that, but I hope to change that over the next few weeks. Be specific about your vision. Be specific about goals that you set in your life. And over the next few weeks, we'll talk about the difference between a vision and goals. But here's principle number two. Know why your vision matters. Know why your vision matters. Abraham knew Abraham knew this vision mattered and he made sure that Eleazar knew because God has made a promise that there's gonna be a family. There's gonna be a big family, a family that's gonna grow into a nation. And so you have a dad, Abraham, who has a son and that son's not having babies. And so Abraham sees there's a problem. There are no grandbabies. So if there's going to be a big family, then Isaac's going to have to have a wife, and they're going to have to get to work on this. They're going to have to do what couples do. They need to have grandbabies. But, but he knew that ultimately it was the blessing of the world that was at stake here. Do you know what's at stake with your vision? Because you need to know. Not only must you know the what of your vision, what's God calling me to, but you must know the why of your vision. You need to know what you want and why you want it. And let me just give you a clue about weeks to come. The why you want something is gonna be the great separator It's gonna be the indicator of whether or not your vision is a vision that comes from God or if it's all about you. And then you'll either separate yourself from that or eventually that vision that's all about you will separate you from him. Every vision, every goal has a value and a reward. The, the why is the payoff the why is the reward. It's what motivates you to get this thing done. And this is critical because if you don't know why your vision is important, you will quit when times get tough. The what is not enough to keep you going when times get tough. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you from experience. If you are trying to live out a God-given vision, it will get tough. 
If you are doing something that God has called you to, you will run headlong into Satan. You will meet opposition. There will be plenty out there that makes you want to quit. You've heard me say this before. Some of you have, I'm sure. From time to time, people will ask me, Jimmy, have you ever wanted to quit? You ever wanted to quit the church or quit the ministry? And my answer is most Sunday afternoons or most Mondays. Most of the time, I go home and I, I, I don't beat myself too, too bad or beat myself up too, too badly over this. But there are plenty of Sundays where I drive away going, somebody else could have done a whole lot better with that message. Yeah, I've wanted to quit. And, and let me just tell you, through the years, I've had opportunities to quit. Through the years, I've had the opportunity to go to bigger churches, other churches, churches where uh, the weather there rarely drops below 70 degrees which doesn't really matter to us right now. I mean, it's almost 70 degrees today and it's middle of January. I've had a, the opportunity to go to churches where I'd have less stress and more money, but it's the why. It's the why that brought me here. It's the why that keeps me here. It's, it's the why that keeps me going when it doesn't make sense to keep going. What's your why? You need to know the what and the why. Here's principle number three. Don't worry about the how before you know the what and the why of your vision. So what your vision is specifically and why your vision matters once you know those two things, then you can start thinking through the hows. Don't ask the how questions first. The how questions are important, but not more important than the why. The why you're doing something, the why you're giving your life to something is the motivation for whatever you do in life. The how is the method for accomplishing the vision. And motivation is always, always, always more important than the method. Motivation precedes method. And once you have the right motivation, listen to me, listen. Once you have the right motivation, the right why, God will give you the how to get it done. So Jimmy, explain that. I don't know how to explain that really. I'm not smart enough to explain it. But that's the faith part, and I've just seen how the faith part has worked out time and time and time again. Once you have the right motivation, God will give you the method, the how to get it done. God will never give you a vision 
He'll never give you something to do in life that's all about you. So, so listen, I, I'm, I'm telling you, if you're a young person, you're sitting in the room and you're thinking, I've already got college picked out for next fall. I know what I'm doing. All that's all set up and it's my life and it's what I'm doing. But you're a believer. I'm telling you, you're, you're not hearing from the Lord. You, you need to stop and start praying back through that because if your vision, if your, if your investment of your life is all about you and not about others, it's not coming from the Lord. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why so many of us struggle with knowing what God really wants us to do is because we're still trying to make it all about us. And God will never give you a vision that's all about you. And I'm sorry about that. And you can waste a lot of time and energy trying to prove me wrong, but I'm right. If it's all about you, it comes from a different place. In the first decade of our church, it was mostly just about getting started. Randy, we didn't have a big 20th celebration if we had of Witta. We'd have have told you about it. We didn't celebrate 20 years back in October. We're going to do that this spring. But when we got started, we started with very little. You've been hearing me call the name Randy. Randy was the director of missions for the Cabarrus Baptist Association. They were one of our sponsors, them along with Pitts Baptist Church. And I think their support, and I'd have to go back and look at the records, but I think their support and Pitts Baptist support, Pitts was our, um, just a a partnering church. It was about $12,000 a year. We were grateful for it, but that, that's, not a, that's not a whole lot. But to be honest with you, Karen and I, we didn't know how all this was going to work out. We'd never started a church before. We didn't even know if starting a new church was legal when we started a church. I mean, can you really do this? I, I mean, now it doesn't seem like a big deal because you see new churches popping up everywhere. But that was not the case back then when we were starting Rocky River. It's a very new thing. I think the only church that had been started in this whole area was West Cabarrus Church just a few years earlier. We didn't know how it would happen. We didn't know how it would all work out, but here's what we did know. We knew that God wanted us to start a church, a new church for people who had never been to church before. We, we knew that he wanted us to start a church for people that had given up on church as usual. That's the what. And we also knew the why. It was because God gave us a heart to reach people that most churches, at least at the time, just didn't seem like they were very interested in reaching, the spiritually lost. You know why it's hard because when you're trying to reach a, uh, when you're trying to reach people who've never been to church or people who've given up on church, that, that doesn't grow into this big, huge thing overnight. And it's hard to do, and it's messy. It's not, it's not clean and neat. We knew that if we didn't start this church, that there would be people who would spend an eternity separated from God. And we felt that way 20 years ago. We feel that same way today. 
And over the last 20 years, we've, we've baptized over 700 people. Think about that. I'm, I'm not bragging about that because let me tell you something. It's, it's not because I figured out how to do something. If I wrote a, church, a book about church planning, it would be a hundred things not to do. My, Rick Warren wrote the purpose-driven church. I'd have to write the mistake-driven church. And in spite of that, more than 700 people have come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior here. Over the past couple decades, we've set big goals and we've accomplished them. Goals like buying this land, building this facility. And when we set these goals, we had no idea how we would accomplish them. It didn't make sense. On paper, I'm telling you, it didn't make sense. I don't know what the bank was thinking when they let us borrow the money to build this building. But we knew the what, we knew the why, and God provided the how. He made the how possible. And now we're going into our third decade of ministry here at Rocky River Church, and we feel like there's still so much more to do, and there is so much more to be done. We, we know the what and the why, we just don't know how it's gonna all get done. But because we know the what and the why, we're trusting that God will show us the how. And there are times when I sit in my office now thinking, Lord, we just, we've got to work this out. How are we going to do this? And God just brings people that know how to do things. That doesn't always happen overnight. It doesn't always happen when I want it to happen. Because you know when I want it to happen? Right now. Right now. Let me give you one more example, and we'll, we'll wrap up for the day. You know, every year, we, we give a year-end offering or a Christmas offering. And uh, th this year, we, we decided to extend the, the offering through the end of January. And we did that for a couple of reasons. One is some of the churches that I'm uh, in a coaching network with, they, they do it through the end of the year. And some of the reasons they gave were some of the reasons that some of our folks at our church gave to us about extending the offering. And it, it usually has to do with their, their fourth quarter commission checks don't come in until January. And so they want to give to the Christmas offering, so we've extended it. And we put the highest goal for the Christmas offering on this year's offering than we ever have before. It's $44,000. That's the what. And the money is gonna be used for all sorts of important things, like to upgrade our furniture in the lobby, replace this projector. It, it wasn't great when we bought it, but the truth is we bought what we could afford then. But now it's got years on it, it's outdated, We've changed bulbs in it a number of times. It just needs to be replaced. We need to upgrade our signage out in the lobby and throughout the building on the inside and the outside. We have some repairs that need to be made. 
our River Kids room, which is where our children meet on Sunday mornings. It's also where our students meet on Wednesday nights, and it's where Boy Scouts meet on Monday nights and other nights throughout the, the week. There, there needs to be some upgrades done in those rooms. A portion of this money is going to go to pay for a student pastor that we didn't hire last year because we didn't have the money to last year. But we're going to hire that person this year, and I think we're close to a decision on that, but more to come on that later. Well, I have some good news and some bad news about the Christmas offering. The good news is we have the money. The bad news is $34,000 of it is still in your pockets. We've had something like $10,000 come in. And, and, and listen, listen. It won't be the first time I've been accused of being a dreamy-eyed preacher that has more faith than sense. I'll take that. I'd rather have more faith in God than have smarts. But even though there's only a couple of weeks left, I think we're going to hit this goal. I think we're going to hit it. If you want to know the truth, I didn't have big enough faith to come up with 44K. Our staff did. I agreed with it. But the what and the whys, they were decided through prayer and agreement. And I just think we're going to hit it. I don't know how. I mean, maybe there's somebody here this morning that could write a check for 34000 just cover the balance. That'd be, that'd be great. I, I don't know. I don't know if we have anyone can, can do that or not. Or maybe there, are a thousand, uh, maybe there are 34 people here that could give $1,000 or 68 people who can give $500. Karen and I are going to give an extra $500 next week just because we believe in the what and the why and we want to be a part of the how. I don't know how this is going to happen. But I just believe it will. Here's my point. Here's my point. The what, the why, and the how. Most people make the mistake, and it's a big mistake, of trying to think through the hows before they understand the what and the why. And let me tell you why that's a mistake you eventually have to ask the how questions. Because, Jeremy, we live in a real world, don't we? I mean, we live in a real world. Whether you're a church or whether you sell a service or you, sell, you manufacture and sell widgets, I mean, the spreadsheets are going to eventually be what they are. But if you think about the what or if you think about the how before you set the what and the why, you'll go too small. You will set, listen to me, this is important. Stephen, don't you hear me? Because you're a guy with big, you have big potential in you. If you have to figure out the how to get something done before you set the what and the why, you will set you-sized goals you will have a you-sized vision, not a God-sized vision, 
Because if you have to work out all the hows first, you will set a vision and goals that you can accomplish without God's help. Paul, you know it as a pastor because you've sat in deacons meetings and elder meetings before. When those men and women didn't want to go with faith, they only wanted to figure out the how. Once we know how much we have to spend, then we'll ask God for a vision. It doesn't work that way. I'm convinced, I'm convinced, and I've got to stop now, but I'm convinced, I'm convinced that the reason we don't see God show up and do the supernatural, while we don't see him as often as we could, multiply loaves and fishes is because we figure out something small enough for us to do, something small enough for us to manage so that it doesn't require us having faith in him. And since we don't need him, he doesn't show up. I'm gonna tell you something. It won't be the last time you hear this. You're thinking too small. I had two reactions to this Christmas offering. And I'm not gonna say anything else about the Christmas offering. Diego, you can tell Karen I said it. Not my wife, Karen. Karen McGurk, our bookkeeper. I had two thoughts when we came up with this number. One is, wow, that's a really big number. We had a terrible 2019 financial year, and here we are asking for the biggest Christmas offering we've ever received. The other feeling I had was, man, are we really selling God short? I want us to pray together. And before we pray together, I want you to think about something. God's blessings in your life, not only this year, but over the next decade. God's blessing and his favor on, on your life, what you accomplish for the kingdom, what you do with your life, what you don't do with your life is mostly up to you. There was a time when I would not have said that, but I really believe that it depends mostly on the choices that you and I make. And you know, the saddest thing that I've ever seen as a pastor, other than someone who will not trust Christ as Lord and Savior, the saddest thing that I've ever seen is when I watch people make a first-class commitment to second-class causes. They settle for good when they could have had great. Because the greatest use of your life, your energy, your health, your relationships is to invest them in things that will last, things that will outlast you. And I'm going to tell you what those things are over the next few weeks. Right now, let me pray for us. Would you stand with us? And then once you're standing, if you would, just bow your head and close your eyes. Father God, I want to thank you for each person who's here today and each person who's listening to this message on our podcast. 
And I pray that the next 10 years of our lives will be the best 10 years, the best decade so far. I pray that we will choose life, a a better life, a better future, better than we could imagine for ourselves. And I pray right now that you would cause us to commit to spend the next six weeks, seven weeks or so to prepare for the next 10 years so that they can be our greatest years yet. If you're here this morning and you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never given your life to him, that's your next step today. And I want to encourage you right now to just say, Jesus, I want your forgiveness for my sins. I need your salvation. I've been going and and doing life my own way, doing my own thing. But I don't want to go my own way anymore. That's not working. I want to go your way. I need your salvation. I ask you to accept me into your family. Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit to start even today learning how to follow you, Jesus. I pray this in your great name. And those who agreed said, amen. Let the king of my heart be the man.